Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Phoenix Pod. Yavts Jurjevich here, and this month I've got Natalie Ferkser on the podcast. She is the uh, founder and director of the Aloe Family, which is a wonderful nonprofit here in Middle Tennessee uh, that impacts uh, youth from all kinds of backgrounds, but particularly underserved youth here in Middle Tennessee, as well as youth outside of the United States. It's a super cool story, super interesting. Natalie was awesome. Great energy in the conversation. Uh, so we had a lot of fun. There are a bunch of upcoming events. If you're a prospective member uh, or if you're interested in becoming a prospective member and checking out the club, phoenixclubofnashville.org. If you want to get a hold of me or if you have a recommendation for anybody to interview on the podcast, feel free to reach out via the club or social media. And outside of that, I won't talk too much. Let's get to Natalie's story. And and here's the story of the Aloe family. Welcome to the Phoenix Pod. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, we've got Natalie today, and Natalie's got an interesting story, and Natalie's got a very interesting organization she's headed up and is making some great impact. But just for, for folks listening who don't know who you are, what's the 10,000-foot story? You know, how, uh, how are you connected to Phoenix Club, and just what's, what's the background? Awesome. Yeah, so I'm Natalie, and I've lived here in Nashville since 2012. I went to Belmont University and then just never left. Um, and I got connected to the Phoenix Club through my friend Larry. And Larry is a member of the Phoenix Club. Um, I've known Larry for a long time. He came to volunteer with me in Mexico years ago. And we've just stayed friends ever since. Um, and so when he heard about the Allo family and heard that we were starting something new, he thought that the Phoenix Club would be a great, um, a great partner and someone who could help empower the mission. Awesome. Awesome. So tell me about the Aloe family. So what, why in particular did that trigger something? And, and really what's kind of the history behind how it came to be in the first place? Sure. So the Aloe family um, focuses on the areas of education, job skills, training, and hope and healing. So we work locally in Nashville, and then we also work internationally. Um, we have a site in a small border town in Mexico. And then we've also partnered with um, an organization in Honduras um, and in Portugal. So um, the, the short and sweet, I guess, is that the Allo family was born, um, during COVID, um, a friend of mine who has an organization in town called Dream Street, she reached out to me and she said, you know, there is this community in West Nashville and we want to help them. They need food, they need resources, but no one speaks English. Okay. <laughs> um, and at the time I had been volunteering and working with, um, an organization in Mexico, but since it was COVID times, I couldn't go down to Mexico as often as I normally had been. Um, so we started investing in this community and we realized very quickly, you know, the kids weren't in school. And we said, you know, why aren't you doing online school? And they just said, well, we don't know. The bus quit coming. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And their parents, they don't speak English. They don't have email addresses. So they just were not in the loop. Um, wow. <laughs> this is in Nashville? Yeah. In 2020? Mm-hmm. Whoa, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off, but wow. Yeah. So we we reached out to the school um, that was close by, and they said, yeah, we've been looking for these kids, but we don't know how to get in contact with them. Um, so we were able to make that connection, work with the, the social workers, make sure that all the kids got laptops, hotspots. Um, and it started off with us just like with a picnic table in the park, <laughs> um, and we would just help the kids navigate their online school. Um, 
but over time that evolved now we have a space to actually work in um, right on site and um, and then the second part of this is job skills training so we were helping the kids with their education making sure the families got food um, but we really you know after working in nonprofit for a long time my heart and my passion has always been to empower um, and to make make these families sustainable. So mm-hmm. it feels good to us right. to go and give food, but that's not sustainable. And no mom wants to not be able to provide for her own kids. So we started teaching job skills, things like screen printing, candle making, jewelry making, um, things like that, that people can do from home um, and still be able to have an income to help supplement and provide for their kids. So. Wow. Okay. So hold on. We got to, we, we got to dive deeper into <laughs> There's the, a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. And it's so you and I had a long conversation before um, we, we probably spent an hour together just kind of learning about what you guys do and, and some of the challenges there. But we, we did not touch on that point. So I'm somewhat floored. But at the same time, I'm not because being from an immigrant family, being we talked about this, being the oldest kid in an immigrant family, like, you know, you're, you're the one doing all the work. Um, I think about it and I'm like, man. My parents didn't have an email until I sat one up for them. Like, mm-hmm. um, and the bus just stopped coming. <laughs> that is, gosh, that that breaks my heart even hearing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was your initial reaction? Well, you know, at first, it was like very overwhelming. I mean, this apartment complex has two hundred, maybe two hundred fifty units, and then in each one of those units, I mean not just one family living there right like them and their two sisters and their aunt and her three kids and like it's it's a lot so there's so many kids and they're just running around outside it felt like we were in Mexico and um like wrangling the kids together and also we didn't know you know it was COVID it felt like every man for himself right right um but what we would do was just and I guess how we've always worked and always probably will work is just like you help the one that's in front of you. So I remember right. there was one girl, Gabby, and Gabby was like my girl. I met her day one, and she helped me know which families needed food the days that we were giving out food. And so when it was time to help the kids with homework, I went to Gabby's house, and I was like, all right, Gabby, who else that lives here is in your class? Um, and so, you know, it just started out with a couple kids, and we did what we could with a couple kids. Mm. Um And then as more volunteers came, we could work with more kids as the school got involved. And it's like, we never really dreamed that we would be here doing this right now, but we would just like see the need that was in front of us and then do what we could with that one. Right. Um, So (laughs) that's interesting. So would you, when you would say, Hey, who are the other kids that needed um, that are, that are in your class? Would you guys like just do like a little, party and everybody did the homework together or, or what was that? Yeah. Okay. So it's pretty hilarious. Um, we always say like, we're the creepiest people ever. <laughs> we would just, we would go and knock on doors of okay. the kids and the ones that we knew like were supposed to be in school Okay. and we would knock on the doors and we would tell the parents like, Hey, we have like food for your kids. Um, and tell them to bring any, like bring their backpacks. <laughs> and we would just go out like we would just open up a folding table and we had like we would go to Dollar Tree before and get whatever school supplies that we could afford and um and we just did it I don't know we just did it I love the hustle 
<laughs> that is awesome. Did you get any pushback? Um, the I think culturally, yeah, it's a little bit more accepted right. than if I would do this in like greenhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but also, the parents understood that like their kids needed help and. Right. And these parents are resilient. Like they have gone through a lot to get here for a better education and a better future for their kids. Right. So even though we were definitely amateur hour out there, <laughs> they still thought it was better than nothing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just trying to envision this scenario. Like, wow. All right. Yeah. The cultural piece though, I could, I could totally see that where they're, uh, they probably, um, you know, in America, we live a very siloed life in general, especially, God forbid, in a, you know, suburban Nashville, mm -hmm. where, like, do you even know two two houses down the road who your neighbor is? No. no. Um, whereas in, in other cultures, there's a lot more, you know, the, it takes a village concept, so I could totally yeah. see that. Especially, you know, there's a, I actually talked to uh, Demetrius Short, who I interviewed on this episode, and we, we talked about there's kind of a code in different communities of, like, how you help. Yeah. And part of that code typically is like, you got to have somebody within that community that trusts you that kind of vouches for you. Yeah. And I don't know how much, I don't know how much clout Gabby had, but Gabby <laughs> sounds awesome. But her, probably her and her family being like, no, these people aren't serial killers. Yeah. Probably helps. <laughs> yeah. And we were out in the, uh, you know, we laugh because we just think of like all the bugs and we we're standing around this table and we just crack up laughing, like thinking of how sweaty we were that whole summer. But but now, I mean, we were out in, in the open, so everyone right. could see everything we were doing. And the kids would just see, like, oh, there's food down there. I want to go. And um, also soccer helps. We would, <laughs> we would play a, a lot of soccer. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah. And I think, too, we would – and a lot of parents wanted to come mm -hmm. because they didn't speak English, um, which kind of led to now we have an adult English program, too. But mm. – you know, we would always tell the parents, like, you're welcome to come. You can learn math, too. Um, <laughs> Here's some so, common core for you. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was a whole community. Well, okay, so let's take it even a step further. Like, what drove this inside of you to want to do it? Because I'm always, I'm always interested with all the people I get to interview and just, like, being involved in an organization such as the Phoenix Club. Um, we actually had an interesting conversation around um, – what we want the club to look like in the future. And it brought up a bunch of different topics. Um, how many people we want to, you know, bring in every year, et cetera. And then somebody brought up the point and said, you do realize like this is like a self-selecting club, right? Like the type of individual, we don't really have to worry about the, who's coming in because the type of person that's even going to search out something like this is probably already of the caliber that we want. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, willing to donate their time, looking to make an impact, et cetera. So I've always kind of wrestled internally in me. And it's like, and I'm still looking to identify that, like what kind of triggered that in me to want to do things uh -huh. like that, where on a Friday afternoon when, you know, I literally just got off a phone call with my boss and I have another phone call with the CEO afterwards and like a million things going on. I'm sitting in a podcast studio recording an episode mm -hmm. to try to get the word out. Um, and all the time you give and everybody else. So like what kind of drove that, inside of you to say, Hey, let me go be really sweaty with a fold out table with a bunch of kids. <laughs> hmm. It's a great question. And I don't know, we actually just last night, we celebrated one year, like one full year of the Allo family, mm. like officially Congrats. we've been, we've been serving in that community for a while, but we just you know, official year. And so the, I the was, tax documents are, yeah. are a year old. Yeah. That? So I've been thinking about that, you know, it's, 
because it time flies and it's a really it's really amazing to look back and see like the progress you know thinking of the the tables in the in the park versus now and um I I really think it's it's people like my job has really altered you know from the reason that I do it is because I want to hang out with Gabby in the park I want to I want to like see kids like her succeed and you know you I think oftentimes we see ourselves so much and I know that you know growing up um I always had people who made my problems their problems you know Mm. like my parents my dad when I went off to college he made sure like he gave me his credit card and he said you can only use this for gas and food but never go without gas or food And, (laughs) and and now I don't do that anymore but but through college when I needed that so that I could focus on studying I had someone who who decided to make my problems their problems and so I just think that we've you know I have been so blessed like throughout my life to always have a support system and it has nothing to do with money it has nothing to do with um you know, with physical resources so much as it does just like emotional support and friendship and, and family. And so the reason that we called the Allo family, the Allo family is because that's how we truly feel. Like they're with the people that we serve. It's not about making sure that you have clothes to wear. I want you to have clothes to wear. Absolutely. And if we have extra clothes, we're going to give them to you. But more than that, I want you to know that you have a friend to call at midnight and, you know, your problem is our problem, your medical bill and translating it and and all of those things that keep you up at night, they're going to keep me up at night too. And as a team, we're going to make sure that that you have what you need to get through it. Um, And so I think, I really think that's it. You know, when you just take enough time to meet someone and like spend enough time to hear about their life, it, it resonates with you and it gets harder and harder to decide that you're not going to care. <laughs> right, right. Once, so. you, once you humanize people's story via the human. Mm-hmm. I really love what you said. I've never heard this said before. Someone making your problem their problem. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to steal that. <laughs> Go out there and make somebody else's problem your problem. <laughs> um, well, and it also reminds you. So... I've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, be again, kind of going back to the whole being an immigrant and, you know, being the oldest in the family, like the life that I live due to in a very large part, the sacrifices my parents made um, Mm -hmm. to get myself and my sister to a stage in life where, I mean, (laughs) we are leaps and bounds above where our parents were or are. So, you know, we pay them back in different ways. Like we take care of them and, and, and all that. But you know, I look at the things that made me, me, and I've had this conversation with many other immigrant kids. And then I look at my daughter and I sit there and I go, Oof, okay. You already had, you're 16 months old and you already have more toys than I had in my life. So <laughs> like, how do I help you understand that not everybody, first of all, your dad didn't have these things. Yeah. Um, not everybody has all the opportunities and the support system that you have um, and preserve that and basically make sure they don't turn into jerks. Yeah. Um, but it, that's a hard line to walk because you also don't want them to absorb. I don't want them to go through the same things my family went through when I was, you know, 10 or whatever. Yeah. So it's, it, yeah, it's this weird constant battle. Cause I appreciate the lessons and the values I learned, but at the same time, I'm like, 
I really don't want you worrying about like every time you walk into a place, you have to sit facing the door because you don't know who's going to come in. Yeah. Which is something I do to this day. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting because what you're doing there is, you know, you had somebody who made your problem, your problem, their problem, but you're also like putting yourself, trying to put yourself in these people's shoes and like becoming more sympathetic and caring. And like I said, it gets really hard not to care. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's hard too, because it's a slippery slope, you know. Um, I think I there's a, a kid named Omar that's a part of our program in Mexico. And um, I've known him for 10 years, and he's 15 now. And um, this kid, like, takes takes it all out of me. <laughs> just wears it down. He just takes it all out of me in the best way and in the worst way. And, and you know, it's like when you love, you know, he's had a, a really, really, really hard life. Mm-hmm. And you just want the best for them. And so it, it is like a very difficult balance um, because you can obsess over a lot of hard things that you can't control. And right. I think, um, you know, especially your story, you went through a lot of really difficult things, but there was hope. And then from there, you pass that hope on. Um, and we can't control people going through hard things. Everyone's going to, and we can't ultimately protect everyone from the hard things that they go to go through. But, but not being scared to enter into it with them is the most important thing. Um, and, but never giving up hope. And so, you know, for, I brought up Omar because, you know, there's lots of times where I'm like, wow, these problems are so big and they're so all consuming. It's, I can't even see a way out, but I know because of people that I've met, all the other people that we're serving have been through hard things too. And they overcame. Mm. And so we're going to go off the hope that that person had. And, you know, when you look at your daughter and she's going to go through hard things, they might not be the same things that right. you went through, but she's going to have someone who knows how to get through those things right. to tell her how to do it. And, um, you know, I don't know. No, I love I love the aspect of of passing on the hope and and uh, again, literally like two weeks ago in this studio, had we had a conversation about you know um, young boys in particular who live in North Nashville and have never been to downtown Nashville. Yeah, like what two miles? Yeah, right. So just exposing people, and in that scenario, was exposing people to what's possible. Maybe in the in the scenario with the kids that you're working with, just exposing them to there's something on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them also do carry a burden of responsibility at a very, very young age mm-hmm. because they are again, the ones that learn English and the ones that they understand the culture. You know, I, I mean, I challenge everybody listening. Like I'm, I'm th- turning 33 next Tuesday, I think. Yeah. Um, Happy thanks. Uh, make yourself, Go to, like, drop everything you've ever known and loved and go live in Kazakhstan. <laughs> Not because you chose to go live in Kazakhstan, but because that's where the jobs are and your kid won't be starving. Okay, now try to learn the uh, Kazakh culture. How hard would that be? Yeah. The n- Not even, like, the big culture, the nuances of culture. Mm-hmm. And... Now, at the same time, don't understand the language. Go find a job. Go provide for your family. Oh, and keep it all together and don't lose your crap. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how stressful is that? Yeah. And then your kids over here are like, okay, well, 
like dad and mom aren't going to understand the nuances of this culture. So I got to, so they're playing like kind of like this transitionary role. So it's, it's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress that if there's no release valve can really blow up. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, when you, we have our English program and didn't mean to be this, but it's mostly moms that come. And so it's become like the mom support group while they learn English. <laughs> <That sounds about laughs> and, right. uh, and I just sympathize for them so much. Like these, these women come here and they don't have cars right? and their husbands are working three jobs. Um, if their husband's here. Right. And so they're at home all day taking care of the kids in the house. They don't have cars. So if they need to go to the grocery store to make dinner for their kids, like they got to walk on we don't have sidewalks on right. Charlotte Pike <laughs> and then they've got kids and babies and they're putting them in their backpack and they're like, you got to figure it all out. And so these moms come and they're here for English. And it's like some days I'm just amazed that with all the worries and the stress and everything that they're going through that they thought, okay, I'm still going to put brain power into learning English. You know, like I don't think I would do that. Um, and, and it's just like a place where, you know, they don't have kids, they're just investing in themselves and that right. never gets to happen. And, you know, I think when you think of immigrants and refugees, it's like those words make you feel one can make you feel one way or right. another. But then when you think of Dilmara, right. And you go and you sit in Dilmara's house and you hold her kids and she feeds you balayadas and like, Super hospitable. Yeah, yeah. It's a totally different feeling, right. you know? Right. So I always, I, I use this example back in the mid two thousands when everybody in America decided to hate Muslims. Um, you know, we, we were pretty extreme at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I always use this example because I grew up in, you know, I'm from a country where about, uh, uh, almost half the population is Muslim. And, um, I always use this example. I said, look, man, it's really easy to hate Muslims. It's really hard to hate, uh, Mustafa mm -hmm. or Muhammad. Like yeah. if that's your friend, right? Or yeah. an Ayub or whatever. Um, always helping people contextualize any feelings they have towards a group by trying to connect that feeling instead of to the group, to an individual in the group. And then realizing, oh, hey, would you want somebody to categorize you by whatever group you belong to? Yeah. Like, yeah. Put, seriously, put yourself, put the, put the shoe on the other foot. So, yeah. um, but I'm curious about this mother's group <laughs> this, yeah. um what do you feel like had the has had the biggest impact on you because i'm assuming i don't know the demographics of that group but there's got to be somebody in there that's probably close to your age oh yeah and like the life they're living versus the life oh, you're living yeah it's crazy it is crazy we have one woman who she um we taught her how to do screen printing mm -hmm. so she's got a screen printing business and um i guess like i always I'm 29, I'm 29, I couldn't remember. You have to think about that. I, uh, I couldn't remember, I'm 29. Um, and I feel like I often, you know, I'll walk into rooms, and I'm like, oh, I'm the founder of this organization, and they're like, you are? Right, right. <laughs> um, and so I often feel like I'm the youngest one, but what I quick, quickly realized in these families is, no, these women are younger than me with five kids, and in their life they have walked from Guatemala to Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like what in the world, you know, the things that these people have been through, the stories that they tell without even flinching or blinking an eye, it is absolutely shocking. And so I feel like when you asked, you know, how, 
what inspired you to do this or whatever. Also, the, the stories, like what I do is really nothing like to brag about. What these people do for their families is in is insane. It's like every single person should have a TV show written about them right. because of how like brave and valiant they are, you know, for the betterment of their family. It's crazy. Well, and that's that's something that hits me again, being a, a relatively new dad, I guess, because uh, my wife and I talk. You don't have kids, right? No. Okay. My, I, I think we talked about that. So there's literally nothing on God's green earth that I would not do to give my kid a better life. Mm-hmm. Like it does not exist. I talked to my dad about that a lot recently, considering he had to do a lot of things to give his kids a better life. But like, it's so hard to explain until you have one of those little monsters yourself that's like terrorizing <laughs> you in the, in the middle of the night. But like then they, you know, you haven't slept in three days, but then they roll a ball to you and like smile at you. And you're like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. (laughs) What do you want? What do you need from me? Um, So, yeah. And I I think the way they tell those stories, because I've been surrounded by a lot of those stories. They, I think intellectually they understand that those stories are very extreme, but emotionally it doesn't connect. They're just like, yeah, that's, that's what we have to do. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like once you're through it, you're just like, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're so much stronger than, than you think you are. We, we laugh <laughs> because there's a lot of things that we say, well, that sounds like some Allo family stuff <laughs> that, you know, you go through things, you hear stories, you call, you know, what are you doing right now? Well, I'm carrying a mattress down the hill on my head because so-and-so needed a mattress and so-and-so had one. And ah. so we had to just figure it out. And, and, but the things that you do for the people that you love, it's not a chore and it's right. not a big deal. It's just, you do what you got to do. <laughs> so how are you finding volunteers to what's your sales pitch when you, when you find somebody and you're like, we need some help. Um, depends on the person. Okay. Um, I would say, a lot of times I just, I'm honest. I'm like, this is the best gift that any, like that I could possibly give you. It's so fun. You're going to meet the best people. Like people who sign up to volunteer are usually quality people. Yeah, and right. so you're going to meet the best people. You're going to have so much fun. The kids are going to make you laugh. I promise you, you won't regret it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just come, you don't ever have to come back, you know? Yeah. Um, sometimes I say, you know, come help us get food on Sunday and then we're going to get brunch after. <laughs> Right. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. Um, but Bought some bottomless mimosas after giving away yeah. food. Hey, you know what? We'll work hard, play hard. But, but I think um, everybody, like deep down, wants wants to help someone mm-hmm. else, and a lot of times they just don't know how, and they don't want to do it alone. So the just, alone part is key because mm-hmm. it's scary alone. Yeah, you need a buddy. <laughs> well, and you also need somebody who's done the awkward part of. Knocking on the door and being like, hey, can I take your kid away for a couple <laughs> hours? Yeah. Not to be weird, but can I borrow your child? Yeah, like, or maybe to be weird, whatever. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, better than, uh, it's better than watching TV for the next seven hours. <laughs> um, and so let's go to Mexico real quick. It's, yeah. it, you guys, it was Mexico and anywhere else in Central America where you guys do a lot of work? We have a site in Mexico and then um, our curriculum and our program can be mirrored anywhere. So we've just started recently. We went to Honduras to learn and also to teach with another partner organization. Um, And then we are doing some partnership work in Puerto Rico as well. But we have a full full time staff 
site running in Mexico. All right. So what are you guys doing there? So very similar. It just looks the world's different. Um, so we still focus on the areas of education and job skills training, hope and mm-hmm. healing. Um, it just looks different because education looks different and jobs look different in Mexico than they do here. So right. in Mexico, our education program, um, we not everyone gets to go to school in Mexico. Um, and if you can't afford the uniform, if you don't have the paperwork to register. Oh, um, that's it. Hold on. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So there's lots of kids who, you know, they just don't have, like, they don't have a birth certificate or their house burned down and there's no records or whatever. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So they don't get to go to school or maybe they just can't afford the uniform. Um, also, like, there's no bus system taking you to school. Mm. So... Yeah, so um, so what we do is we offer twice a week in two different parts of town um, free, we just call it tutoring. And it depends who comes um, of what it looks like. Sometimes we focus on reading comprehension. Um, sometimes it's math. It's just whatever the kids are needing the most because every kid is different. You might have a 12-year-old who literally doesn't know how to write their name. Um, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, so we do that twice a week, and then we also have a place called the Allo House, and the Allo House has computers and Wi-Fi and school supplies, and um, if kids need a place to come and have resources to do their homework, they can come there. Um, we also have an apprenticeship program for it's young men, mostly right now. Well, all young men right now. In the future, we'll expand it to other things, but um, they need to be enrolled in school and doing well in school, having 80s and above. And then they are also learning construction skills. So they Mm. get home from school, they do their homework, and then they learn construction. So um, with that program, we have an entrepreneur program. So that is open to anyone in the community. Um, We kind of have it in like a cohort where they go through learning personal finance, making a budget, um, creating a business plan, and... Then through there, um, they save their money. We help them be able to make some money as they start their business. They save their money to invest in the bigger things that they need. Mm. Um, They put down 10%, and then we help them start their business. Um, And then they pay back an additional 20%, um, and that full 30 goes to help another person start their business. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so... um, It's like an incubator. It's like... Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, and then the the apprentices, the students in the program, they'll do things like build the business, build the spa, build the car mechanic shop, Um, and then volunteers come down and they help with it as well. I love that. It's like very tangible things that they can do and like make real money off of. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, because it's like... I guess in the United States, we've kind of equated schools with like white collar jobs, like accountants, right. and lawyers, and things like that. But um, school is historically has not been that. School has been let me teach you how to think, uh-huh. and then like let me teach you a skill. Yeah. Um, so you guys are kind of tackling both of those on that front. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it is so different. The job there's just one of the big issues in San in San Luis where we work is like, there's not jobs. Right. So you have to create jobs. Um, and it's been a challenge. <laughs> it's not cheap to do that. Right. <laughs> to pay people to like, to that you're also providing everything else. But, but ultimately that is how like the community can change. Right. Um, and you don't want people to get stuck in the cycle, you know, and I've worked in the community in a long time and, 
people are so used to, oh, the, the Americans come down and they give us everything. Right. So we had a lot of pushback when we started. And it's like, wait, you guys want to build us a house, but you want us to give you money too? <laughs> and we're like just a little bit but yeah you need some buy-in here <laughs> right That's a, well there's there's a lot of um i don't want to i don't want to disparage people who are doing something um that they're passionate about and that where they're helping and it's making them feel good and they're helping somebody but there is a lot of the savior complex in the united states where i go somewhere for a week and i take a bunch of pictures and then i'm gone and it's like Okay, but like that doesn't solve the intrinsic problem of what is happening there. Right. Like it's a it we you have to look at it from a macro level. The micro stuff is important. Yeah. But like if nothing is changing on the macro then it like what are, what are we doing cuz we're just rinsing right. rinsing and repeating the same issue. Right. Um right. And and I'm assuming with a lot of those boys in particular the alternative is crime and violence. Yeah. Cuz that's what the money is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's way, way, way easier to sell drugs than to have a real job. Well, and it, it's it's kind of the thing, again, like, again, let's use boys as an example. If you're 16 years old, like, what what's the one thing in the world you want to do as a 16-year-old boy? It's impress chicks. Like, that's <laughs> it. Like, that's the only thing you care about. Yeah. Well, how do you impress girls? Well, by balling out. That's yeah. how you impress girls. Yeah. Well, how do you ball out when you're 16 and there's no other way? You can't go get a job. Yeah. Um to save up some money and, and lift your truck up or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you go do this. Yeah. And it's this like really vicious, ugly cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is something that we battle. It's like, it feels like a, the, the two places, you know, we serve a lot more people in Nashville and it's, it's honestly a lot easier because there's so many partners here. There's right, so right. many. The infrastructure's in place. Right. And in Mexico, I feel like we're like, running on a treadmill <laughs> we're like aren't we making progress but we are and yes in nashville maybe we're serving 300 and some people a week and in mexico maybe we're serving 20 but but those those 20 people are changing their community like right. they're changing you know the the culture and the mindset and so um so yeah it's it's not easy and it's much easier to give a bag of beans than to sit down and talk about why you can't afford your own bag of beans and what are we going to do together to make it so that next week you can buy your own. Mm. Um, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, so, okay. So let's look at 10, you know, let's, let's, let's dream 10 years in the future. What does it look like? Well, I never dreamed that we would be here now. So, and we're one year in. Um, so I, I, it's, it's so hard to say because um, like I said, like we, we really just like, God brings us needs and we meet them with the resources that we have. But I would say something that weighs on us that we really, you know, want is just um, like the more mentors that we can have, mm -hmm. the more people, because the needs are always there. Like more and more people keep coming to us, but we really just need more mentors. Um, and my goal is that it's not that we're necessarily serving a million people, <laughs> It's that, you know, the ones that we're serving truly feel like family um, and are making big progress. So there's a lot of things, you know, I dream of having a place, you know, we'd love to offer housing to people. Um, we'd be able, we would love to help offer transportation and, and things like that. But um, we're just, we're taking it a step at a time and seeing where, 
where this leads us. <laughs> well, and yeah, something might happen a year from now that completely derails it into another direction that's even more impactful or powerful or, or whatever it may be. Because again, uh, you uh, you started off sweaty and playing <laughs> soccer and you know doing homework, and 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 now you've got staff in, in a different country. I mean, think about how insane, just wild yeah. that concept is. Yeah, it is. It is wild. I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. So how has uh, uh, PECON directly uh, impacted y'all's mission and, and some of the programs that you guys run? Yeah. So this year, um, PECON gave a grant that empowered our local education program. So um, it was honestly like a huge lift because the grant was able to support for our homework tutors, um, school supplies, um our English tutors as well. And so all of like the education that happens in Nashville is funded through PECON. Mm. Um, and so that's so important because like we're there all the time. Like it doesn't go away. Um, right. And especially with us being like in our first year um, as a 501C, it, it is, it's a lot, you know, right. and it, so, so PECON is making that happen. All of our kids that, are there day in and day out um, getting off the bus? That's happening because of you guys. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we can make an impact and, and that you guys are using it in such a wonderful way. Uh, I am curious. Starting this organization was it weird for you? Because I don't know if people really think about this, but was it weird for you to have to go ask for money? Oh yeah. <laughs> I was about to say because I don't think most people think about that. Like wh one of your top jobs whenever uh, you're in charge of a nonprofit is to go and fundraise. Yes, I know. Often I have another friend that um, is an executive director of a nonprofit, and a lot of times we're like, you know, we actually didn't apply for this job. <laughs> right. How did I? I get just here? wanted to help people. I don't <laughs> have to sell people. I was trying to play soccer in the park, um, but yeah, you know, you are like you're a salesperson, right. but but the difference is this. It's really like inviting people into the mission and the mission sells itself. Right, so right. I don't often ask for money. I often ask like, will you come hang out with the kids on Saturday? And then from there, oh, how can I help? Well, <laughs> we need some cash. Yeah. <laughs> need your time and your money. <laughs> um, right. You know, and just being totally honest about the needs like for people and for money and, um, and everyone has a different way that they can help. So. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it, it, yeah. I've had I've asked that question a million times. I'm just like, so how does it? You, you gotten over the awkward awkwardness yeah. every time? There's like, I mean, some people have been doing it for fifty years, and they're like, yeah, it's second nature. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but maybe I'll get there one day. I gotta do a lot of self self pep talks in the car on the way there. <laughs> At least over here doing affirmations every morning. Yeah. It's like you deserve that check. Go go get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, how can folks? help you guys. So for, for people listening, I mean, obviously they heard the story and they heard of the impact and just the general, um, sh should I go full Gen Z, the positive vibes, <laughs> the vibes you're putting out there guys. Um, how can folks help? How can folks get involved? How can folks learn more? I mean, just, just tell us as much as possible about how they can learn about the Aloe family. Yeah. Um, okay. The easiest, quickest thing that people can do that you've no idea, like how much it helps us is like if you're listening to this um, and our Instagram handle is at the Allo family and just sharing, um, you never know who's going to see that. And mm -hmm. a lot of people have found us on Instagram. We don't know who shared what we don't know, but that's how they learned about us. And those are our donors, funders, volunteers, and staff. Mm. So sharing is super easy. Um, giving a little bit of time. So we've got programs 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. All right. We're five out of seven. So you can come hang anytime. Um, spending just even 30 minutes is super important. We always need volunteers. Um, if you want to be a little bit more adventurous, we also need volunteers in Mexico. Mm. Um, and then, of course, donating, whether it is um, like in-kind donations, like we're always accepting school supplies. We do a free store once a quarter, so we will clean out your closet, give your stuff to us. Um, and also donations, of course. That's um, right. what funds us, keeps us going. So whatever you have extra of, if it's time, love, money, clothes, whatever, we'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, 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 sharing is caring. Guys. Let's start, start start from there, and then we 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 ramp it up. But yeah. no, I love that. And yeah, anybody listening, uh, obviously, I'll have the description of the organization and a little bio about you and what you guys do in the in the podcast description and website, social media handles, etc. Um, but any final parting words? Any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I would just say like I'm. I'm really, we're really, really thankful for the Phoenix Club. So I'm assuming a lot of the Phoenix Club guys listen to this. They better be. They better be. Like, <laughs> it's a requirement. I'm walking around like <laughs> grabbing people's phones, clicking five star on the, <laughs> on the podcast app. <laughs> well, if they are listening to this, um, you know, it, to you, to you guys, it might just seem like, I don't know how it works if it's member dues or whatever it is that you have to, that you have to give. But to us, it is our whole world. It's our whole life. Um, for a lot of people. So just thank you for doing that and keep it up. Um, and thanks for keeping us going. Well, we appreciate you. And, and, uh, it's, uh, I'll speak for the whole club here. It's our pleasure. Um, for everybody listening again, check out the Aloe family. Um, Natalie, thank you for coming on. This was awesome. Thank you. Um, Phoenix club of Nashville.org. Social media is also in the bio. And if you guys want to get a hold of me or anybody else in the club, just reach out and we'll take it from there. But until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon.